G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. There's so much being said about free speech, but I guess once you see what's going on in so many sectors of society, it's what is being demonstrated when it comes to free speech that's actually really important. And silence isn't golden when it comes to free speech. That's the title of an article written by Natasha Moore, who's a research fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity. And free speech at the heart of what she's been writing about. Let's chat with Natasha. Natasha, welcome along to 2020. Thanks for having me on now. Let's talk about this trend, Natasha. Uh, Is there a growing trend? Is this a trend that's been going for a long time? Uh, This silencing of people who have wanted to have their say on whatever issue they're talking about? I mean, I suppose if we go back, this has been going on since time immemorial. It's kind of a natural human instinct, isn't it, that we think we're right. We wouldn't believe the things that we believe if we didn't think we were right and having people disagree with us is uncomfortable and the freedoms that we're used to in the West, freedom of speech being a foundational one among them, is actually really counterintuitive to our nature. So, you know, it takes a lot of work to preserve and I think we are seeing more and more in recent years news stories and events that really say that that particular freedom is under threat and is being kind of challenged by other rights and other freedoms that we also want to promote. So the idea of shutting down free speech comes when there's a disagreement with my personal moral or political persuasion and someone else doing their best to bully me, to silence me, to not allow me to have my say. Is that the essence of what you are talking about in your article? I mean, usually when we talk about freedom of speech in the formal sense, we're talking about um, persecution in some sense by a state, that there are legal sanctions for saying what you think, for expressing certain views. I think that um, in some senses that's too narrow. There are sanctions today that really go beyond government or legal sanctions. So with the rise of social media... Uh, it's really possible for people to condemn others for what they think and what they say in a way that leads to, you know, you see this in lots of examples. For example, uh, Brendan Ike, who was the Mozilla CEO, who was forced to resign because he'd donated to a campaign that had been mounted against same-sex marriage in California, I think. Um, these kinds of examples where people have a particular political view or they make a particular joke, a kind of misguided comment, and they get absolutely pilloried on Twitter and on Facebook. And as a result, people are being shamed in ways that we haven't seen happen kind of in Western countries for centuries, but there's kind of a social shunning that goes on. So I think free speech is not an absolute right. There are ways that we always need to set limits to the things that people say to one another. Speech is dangerous, but when we are sanctioning it in ways that are really detrimental to people, that the expression of certain views is 
simply not acceptable, then we have to kind of start worrying about that fundamental right of freedom of speech, I think. As you say, the rise of social media has given scope to all sorts of oppression that wasn't there because before, when you had a a magazine or a newspaper, there's some sort of editor who's like the gatekeeper of what gets actually published. But now everybody's publishing their own thing and there's like a herd mentality of how people are being viewed and there's a herd mentality of rounding people up to be on your side, even though your side typically and in any sort of historical sense of morality might be absolutely wrong. Well, and it's interesting that it's gone this way because it doesn't have to. In a way, social media should be a real democratising force. People can express whatever views they want. They have access to a larger audience than they have had in the past because there aren't those gatekeepers that there used to be. But the result of, you know, for example, all these different news sites being available online, we have access to so much that we didn't before but people more and more seem to be shutting themselves in these echo chambers. We just read things that we agree with. Um, We just uh, read political opinions that make sense to us and surround ourselves with people who agree with us. And that means that, you know, we're not making the most of these technologies of what they have to offer us, I think. So, Natasha, what sort of solution might there be to overcoming these oppressive pressures that deny free speech, do you think? Well, I mean, one of the obvious ones is that people need to realise that this is an issue. Um, So raising awareness, and we're seeing this more and more, I think, that articles are not simply um, expounding one political opinion or the opposite political opinion, but starting to think um, self-reflexively about, well, wait, how do we conduct public debate? And are we doing that badly? Are we are we worse at disagreeing with each other well than we used to be? Um, so I think that we need to kind of recapture and make real defences of that principle of freedom of speech, um, showing that it's a really beautiful and really important and fundamental right that we want to enshrine in our culture. But I think as well that there's a real personal aspect to this so it's easy to point fingers and look at the kind of public debate on one issue or another and say people are so bad at disagreeing without demonizing each other you know political life is so polarized but actually how are we relating to people in our own lives who don't share our views do we just pursue friendships with people who are you know, just like me, when I have a debate with somebody who has a very different opinion to me on whatever issue it might be, do I engage with them in a way that's respectful? Um, Am I really frustrated and made uncomfortable by the fact that they disagree with me? This is something that we can be thinking about personally in our own lives, as well as the way that we engage on social media and in public debate, I think. You reflect on some writings from John Stuart Mill and suggest that there are some levels of standards. If you know, and it's a little bit idealistic to say if there was some level of standard, uh, people would be able to communicate in a better way. But the idea of having some sort of code of ethics that could be promoted is actually not a bad way to approach how you actually communicate in social media. Well, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because how do you decide on a code of ethics? And and in a way, that seems almost anti-freedom, um, the idea that... Because the problem with setting up any kinds of restrictions on speech, including um, something like a code of ethics, uh, is that 
people point to it way too easily. So we have limits on freedom of speech legally, such as um, you can't incite people to violence. That's actually illegal. Uh, there are um, forms of secrecy and confidentiality um, where you're not allowed to... There are things you're not allowed to say, and it's right to have those limits, but they should be limited because as soon as we say, well, this is a dangerous idea, it needs to be restricted, or this is a dangerous way of speaking, it's offensive to me or it's hurtful, it's just way too easy to make to extend and extend and extend that category um, to the point where anyone can kind of be accused of anything. So I think as well that it's worth making a distinction there between you know, what kinds of sanctions are in place and the ways that people want to conduct themselves. So it's one thing to say, I'm going to kind of self-censor and be careful with the way that I say certain things because I want to be courteous and respectful and I want to change people's minds. I don't, I don't just, when I engage in a debate with someone, I don't just want to um, try to show them up and try to make it sound like I'm right and they're wrong. Surely we want to engage in a way that's productive. So I think that those kind of voluntary codes of the way we behave are probably helpful, but to try and impose order on something as fluid and just flexible as public debate and conversation is very difficult. Natasha Moore, our guest, Research Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity. Natasha, stay with us. We'll come back and continue our conversation. We're talking about free speech more in just a short while. We're talking about free speech. Silence isn't golden when it comes to free speech. Natasha Moore is with us, Research Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity. Natasha, we were saying in that last segment about the idea of uh, having some sort of code of ethics uh, when you're actually approaching uh, an online conversation or being involved in these big debates that are going on around the nation, around the world uh, right now. There is a sense, isn't there, when you reflect on being a Christian, you actually do have an internal code of ethics. It's like the law of God written on your heart. But those who are not Christian don't have that same code of ethics, and so it's not necessarily a level playing field when it comes to who's getting an upper hand or who's being uh, bullying in the sense of uh, trying to overtake the argument when you're actually in the middle of debate uh, and, uh, and there's a social media discussion going on. Well, I mean, I'd have to say that judging by my own experiences on social media that... Christians and non-Christians alike can definitely play dirty in this respect. Um, so I think it's, it's right that Christians um, should approach these kinds of conversations with humility. Um, you know, we're, uh, our faith enjoins on us a real humility when we speak to people and um, an awareness that as humans we're limited and um, our grasp on truth is really not absolute. Um, so I think that when it comes to free speech and being able to disagree with people well, Christians should be good at that, but often aren't. Um, and the, yeah, I don't think that it's specific to Christians or to atheists or to whoever. There are kind of, there's arrogance and there's kind of discourtesy across the board in lots of these conversations. And I think the online aspect exacerbates that because we're not talking face-to-face with someone and you know, people say things online that they would never say, I imagine, to somebody's face. I guess when you start to debate about the big, big issues, though, and uh, I notice that there are a number that you've referred to, like uh, pro-gun speech or 
the Israel-Palestine situation or the inhumane treatment of asylum seekers, uh, oppressive economic systems, uh, anti-feminist speech, lots of different areas where this idea of free speech applies, not to mention uh, the idea of anti-immigration speech or climate change denial, all of these things. There's such a variety of issues. For Christians, I guess you come to a a settled idea of what is right and what is true on some of those issues. I guess you've got to stand for something, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we've become really bad at, I don't know if we used to be better at, but I certainly think we're bad at it now, is disagreeing without demonizing one another. So it's one thing to say, I very firmly believe this, but quite another to therefore think that the person who doesn't believe that is just, they must be stupid or um, sinister. Uh, there must be some terrible reason why they don't agree with me. So I think it's, it's really fundamental to a pluralist society, a society that's going to be peaceful without everyone thinking the same, that we can disagree strongly, but do that in a way that's kind um, and that, you know, in, engages in real debate. Um, so that we can talk about issues instead of just kind of slinging mud from one side to the other. And, you know, I should say as well that this is not specific to the Christian side of issues, whatever that might be. Um, it's not specific to the left or the right. Um, both right and left in politics are guilty of this kind of um, restricting speech, wanting to shut down people who disagree with them. So we've seen it recently on Q&A with Zaki Muller, uh, that uh, the Liberal government very much condemned uh, the ABC's choice to have him express his views. But then on the other hand, when Fred Nile went on Q&A a few weeks before that to speak about LGBT issues, people want to shut him down as well. So I think it's kind of, it's an impulse that's common across the board and one that we need to be really careful of. I guess when you are a Christian and uh, you stand for a particular position of truth on an issue and uh, you're under attack, the tempting thing is to go in all guns blazing yourself to try and meet fire with fire. But uh, what you're saying is there is an internal a switch that needs to take a humble position in these things to appreciate what others are saying and yet at the same time still try and contend for your own case. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a biblical idea, right? That we're told to uh, give an answer to people who ask uh, what we believe, but to do that with gentleness and respect. And I think, I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone of this, that we tend to go into a discussion or a debate uh, wanting to win the argument. And winning the argument isn't necessarily the best outcome because we're talking about people. So I think one of the most worrying things about the trends that we're seeing lately is that the temptation is to just write off people who disagree with us. And this is, this is what it means to want to silence people, is that instead of thinking that people's minds are worth changing, that people are worth engaging with and worth learning from and listening to, um, at the point at which we want to just shut them down, we're saying, look, I just, I just don't want their view on the table. And that's not an approach to other people that Christianity can sanction. So, I mean, it's worth acknowledging as well that Christian authorities have been bad at this in the past. So, you know, John, going back to John Stuart Mill and his um, treatise on liberty, uh, he's writing that defence of freedom of speech 
within a society that is predominantly Christian and that restricts the, sense, the ways in which people can speak against Christian faith and Christian belief. Now, so, you know, Christians don't have a great track record in this respect when they're the ones in power. And I think that that's something that we should be ashamed of. Um, and I don't think that we should be defenders of freedom of speech simply because now in certain areas we find ourselves on the wrong end of it. We want to defend everybody's right to speak and treat people with the respect and courtesy that says, I want to engage with their beliefs and try to convince them of the rightness of my own. They're, they're worth that. Goes to show, doesn't it, we are all on a learning curve, uh, but there's no doubt that there is a trend to silence opposing views uh, and then, as you say, cluster around shared beliefs. And uh, there is a worrying situation that has developed and uh, Christians, in some sense, uh, in a lot of the issues that are going on in society, actually being blocked out uh, because they are opposing views to a, a, a typical trend that seems to have developed because of a whole bunch of noisy minorities. But uh, those are discussions for another day as well. Natasha Moore is Research Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity and uh, you can certainly access her articles simply by visiting the Centre for Public Christianity. Just simply Google CPX and you'll find the site for the Centre for Public Christianity. Natasha, good talking to you. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au